welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. One of my favorite songs, I Surrender. It's just, uh, it's also an excellent, excellent uh, groundwork for the things that um, God's got for, for me and for us this morning. And I will say having the Winter Soldier on percussion was interesting, and I enjoyed that. Um, but for today, uh, my name is Josh, and I'm one of the pastors here at New Life Fellowship. And... This is part two. This is the second half of a two-part uh, sermon series. I guess series uh, is the right word uh, about Psalm 91. And last week, uh, I went into some pretty great depth about how the last three months, since since January, really, three and a half months or so, I, I've been struggling. There have been a lot of different things going on in my heart. Seeing things going on in the world, I feel like... Um, it's never been more obvious to me how little control I actually have over over the world that I live in. And I talked about um, how it's become so obvious to me that there are some specific things that I have been counting on for security in my life that have very quickly become uh, unsteady or unreliable. And... (laughs) One of those is the government, and just in seeing sort of decisions that have been made and kind of waffling back and forth, and it's been really difficult for me uh, to have this, you know, it, I'll say it this way. I've been realizing more and more how I have been counting on uh, the people who are making the big decisions to making decisions that are going to work for me, and it feels like that's not happening. Um, I also have been discovering that, like, I've been looking to my business as a source of security and a bit from my, to my business as a source of uh, validation and a source of my identity. And that I, you know, even if things around are not going great, at least I feel like I'm a great business owner. At least I feel like I'm doing a good job. And last week I talked about how uh, changes, you know, moving, uh, you know, continuing to move forward as a business, it's putting me in new situations that I'm finding, uh, feeling out of my depth a lot. And I look around and I see everything. I'm feeling overwhelmed by so, so many things. And in that spot, I find myself feeling frozen. I feel like kind of deer in the headlights. And it's like these the walls of security around my life are suddenly cracking. And through those cracks, just fear and anxiety and worry just, just flood in. And I feel paralyzed. Uh, and depending on on the day, I either retreat, uh, retreat into myself, I retreat for my wife, or retreat for my kids, retreat for my friends, uh, or I'll thrash and I'll look for someone to blame. I'll lash out um, sometimes, you know, at my family, um, sometimes at myself, sometimes at God. And what's the last like few weeks have been a really special time because you know it's my turn to my turn to preach, and I just felt like. God showed me Psalm 91 in a brand new way. And last week we talked, we focused on verses one to eight, the first half of of Psalm 91. And 
there was a few things that even this past week, as I'm looking at this part two, uh, a few things have kind of like just been kind of reverberating in my mind of like from the first eight verses and talking about how crucial it is, you know, that we we have to remind ourselves that the Lord is our refuge. You know, the Lord is, uh, God is the place that where we find our security. And, and it's not like I have to choose that God is my security. It's like, no, he is. And I have to remind myself of that. I have to remind myself personally over and over and over, multiple times a day, sometimes multiple times an hour. If I'm really tired, probably multiple times a minute. Um, but God is the fortress that I live in. And, you know, we talked about how dwelling place, like those words in Hebrew are sometimes even translated secret hiding place. And I just, I remember reading that and just feeling like, oh, I just, I just long to be hidden away from the danger and from the scare, the scary things of the world. Um, I just long to be like cradled up, you know, in my perfect father, my perfect daddy's arms. I just want to hear him say, it's going to be okay, Josh. I got this. I got you. And Psalm 91 is saying, that's actually the reality. Unfortunately, what's also true is that if I am constantly looking to my circumstances, looking to my business, looking to you know, government, looking to whatever, and taking my cues from those things, I'm not going to be feeling and experiencing the reality of God as my hiding place. And I'm going to feel exposed, even though I'm not. I'm going to feel vulnerable, even though I'm not. Like God is protected. He is the bulwark. We talked about that word last week as well. He's the one, he's intercepting targeted attacks. He's the one, he's saving us from danger that we don't see coming. He's saving us from danger that we do see coming. Um, he's saving, saving us from, from plagues of all sorts. Um, and his faithfulness is our shield. You know, his faithfulness, the, his track record with me personally. I look back in my life and I see time and time again, God coming through in a really special, special way. Um, now, sometimes we step into something that's brand new for us. And I can't look back in my life and say, oh, look, God did this to me before. So I know he'll be there again because it's new. And that's where community becomes a really important part because we can look to other people to help to remind us and to encourage us and to point us in the right direction, point us to God, keeping our eyes focused on him. We can also look to scripture. And that's one of the things I love about Psalm 91 too, because the author of Psalm 91 is kind of debated, but scholars are fairly evenly split as either Moses or it's David. And you think about the life of David, for example, you think about the life of Moses. Both David and Moses are murderers. They both have killed someone. Both of them have made monumental mistakes. They would be canceled multiple times over in today's culture. However, like, they, like, whether it's David who wrote it or Moses, like, these words are coming from someone who is seasoned. They're coming from somebody who has experienced this firsthand. And scripture is full of that. Um, so it's so important, to like, like, remembering that God's faithfulness, you know, his track record, we, we can count on that. And that's a shield. We, we can use that to combat the lies, to combat the fear, to combat the anxiety. And Another super important part of this whole thing is that we have to constantly remind ourselves that God is using everything for, excuse me, God's using everything for good. And, you know, towards the end of Psalm 91, I'm really excited to get to that part of the sermon, but like towards the end, uh, we're going to, we're going to see how he's doing that. And you look at Romans 8, 28, you know, um, everything that happens, like God is using it for the good of those who trust in him, those who put their trust and put their faith in him. You know, as believers, we can have confidence the only things that are getting through 
that God maintained barrier, shield around us, that wall around us. God's maintaining it. The only things that are coming through to us are things that he has said, yes, I have a purpose for this and I'm going to use it for good. I'm going to make it even better than if it had never happened. So really verses 1 to 8 of Psalm 91, it's sort of like directed right at me, right at the frazzled, confused, frustrated, kind of spazzy Josh. And he's like taking his his hands and putting them around my face. And he's saying, you're okay. Like, I've got this. I've got you. Like, look at me. Don't look around. You know, you know, like in movies, you've got the person who's like pretty confident. It's like, you know, it's an action movie. There's explosions everywhere. And then there's the person who's being saved. And the savior is like, look at me. No, don't look at that. Keep your eyes on me. I'm like, that's what the first half of Psalm 91 is. Is God saying, Josh, I got you. I've got this. It's going to be okay. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. And that second half, verses 9 to 16, we kind of build on those themes and we kind of dig into those more. And I'm really excited to go through that. Kind of, We're going to go verse by verse, similar to last week, kind of going back and looking at some of those root, uh, the root Hebrew words and, and kind of gleaning like some really cool, uh, exciting, like soul-quieting truth that I'm, I'm just thrilled for. And I need to pray before we get into that. Um, Father, you've been at work in the world You've been at work in all of our lives, and your Holy Spirit has been active, and it's been pre preparing people for this morning, and preparing people for what you have. And, and God, I am putting my confidence in today's sermon. I'm putting that confidence in what you've been doing in the lives of everyone who's hearing this, and in my life, and I'm putting, I give you the responsibility for the outcome of today. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited that you don't leave us huddled on the ground, terrified. I'm excited that you lift us up and you lead us forward through danger, through the enemy. And you are right beside us and you're helping us to practice and to experience freedom like we've never experienced before. So thank you, thank you, thank you for Psalm 91. Thank you for this wonderful community of friends. And thank you for the time that you and I get to spend together this morning. All right. Well, let's dive right in. We're going to Psalm 90, 91, verse 9. So I'll just read the verse here. It says, uh, For you have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. There's a couple interesting things here. So number one, it's important to know that the author of this psalm is there addressing people. You know, and they're kind of speaking from a bit of their own experience. You can kind of see that in this verse. He's like, For you have made the Lord my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place. The other interesting thing is that this is a super, super close reflection of verse two. If you remember, it says, you know, saying, make the Lord your refuge. You know, he is your dwelling place. And so Psalm 91 verse nine kind of goes back to that. And, it's, and it says, you know, okay, on the other side of that decision, you have made the Lord my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place. And like, okay, so once that's happened, Here's how we move forward from there. So we're going to dig into some of these words. So one of the words is have made. And the root word for that, the Hebrew word is samta. Uh, and it's interesting because that word is used in a bunch of different ways. Uh, you know, but there's a sense of you have a bunch of options and this is the thing you've picked. So it's kind of this appointment. It's like I've appointed this. You know, I've appointed the Lord. I've selected the Lord. Out of all the options, of all the things competing in my life, I've appointed the Lord as my refuge. The interesting thing as well, and I talked about this last week, uh, is the word Lord. And in that, the 
the root word, the root word is Yahweh. And one of the interesting things about the word Yahweh or Jehovah is that Jehovah isn't actually a real word. What they've done, and this is like, Pastor Robin knows all about this. He's he's well-schooled in the Hebrew, and I'm sort of learning, so it's, but it's still pretty cool. It's like, is the word Yahweh, is, you know, y, uh, Y-H-W-H. And in Hebrew, they don't really use vowels. And so Y-H-W-H is they've taken the consonants from the word Yahweh, but then they've used it, they, they've added the vowels from another word for God, which is Adonai. And so the, the, the root of Adonai is Adon, which means master or ruler. And last week I talked about how I love, I want a savior. I find myself in messes all the time, way more than you think, like a lot of messes. And I want to have a savior who's going to swoop in and save me, but I really would rather not have a Lord. I don't really want an Adon. Because the concept behind Adon, it says, you know, the concept is dominion, uh, rulership, or ownership. And it's not like a master-slave, not really like that, because there's also a strong sense of the Lord, the Adon, is responsible for the care and for the well-being and for the growth and development and maximization of what like the, what the Adon is over or owns. So I don't really like the fact that God is my, I'll put owner in quotation marks, because that means that he gets to decide what happens to me. That means he gets to decide when it happens to me and how it happens to me. And I'll be honest, I kind of, I kind of hate that. And that's something I honestly truly struggle with all the time. I struggle with it in my own life. And I struggle with it as I look to friends who are going through things. I look I struggle with it as I think about my kids and things that they're struggling with and the things that they're going through. I struggle so much with the idea that God is the one who's picking and choosing that person's course. However, they are not, like, I'm not the owner. I'm not the controller. Like, that's, again, where I have to go back to God's faithfulness. I have to go back on his goodness. Like, he is someone that we can trust. He is someone that we can love. I love the idea of a savior, but I'm not so crazy about a Lord or owner, but the two are one and the same. The two are one and the same. Um, The Lord is my refuge, my place of safety. It's that place where it's kind of out of reach, out of harm's way. And he is my dwelling place. Um, And he's the place where I live. He's the place where I'm my habitat. The root word there is, is Mao. And it's like habitation, your living place, your home. I have made God my living place. You know, so on the other side of the decision to make the Lord the place I go to, opposed to everything else, is a reminder that God is also my owner. He's the one responsible for providing for me. He's the one responsible for guiding me. And that really kind of sets up the expectations of what my life looks like moving forward on the other side of like the recommitment to saying, yes, God, I choose again. I choose only look for my security in you. So moving on to verse 10. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. This is a tough one. Again, like I look at my life, I was like, oh, I don't know what this, but that sure feels evil. <laughs> like this plague is coming near my tent. You know, well, we've got literal COVID. Uh, it's, it's in the world. There's also the plague of dangerous ideas. You know, the, the 
the plague of, 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 of infections of this. There's like, there's, it's so easy to look around and see, it's like, well, I don't know if this verse is actually true because I see things that look like evil all around me. Now, what we wanted, what I want to do is kind of dig into some of these words here and kind of, I want to kind of share how God has spoken to me about some of these things. So number one, the word evil, it pretty much means what it sounds like. The root word, uh, it's ra'ah, and it means wild, evil, you know, harm or hurt. Uh, the word for befall, it, you know, with befall kind of has this kind of a chance. It's something that might happen to you. And that's kind of a, uh, that's a, you know, anah is the root word. And it means, you know, I get a chance encounter, like an opportune meeting, like dangerous things are not going to happen to you by accident. That's sort of the, the interpretation here. And nor will any plague come near your tent. Um, so come near is kaurab, and it means to, to approach. So things aren't going to happen to you by accident, and things aren't going to happen to you intentionally that are bad. Now, what I've what God's kind of been challenging me on, and I have to be honest, I'm I'm not speaking this confidently because I feel it. I'm speaking it confidently because I know it's true, and I'm I'm wrestling with and dealing with my feelings and, and examining them and saying, okay, if this is how I'm feeling, then I need to understand this and believe a little bit differently here. But if it's true that God is my refuge and that he is protecting me and nothing comes to me unless he's got a purpose for it, then what that means is that anything that comes near me is not evil. And I have to be I want to spend a little bit of time on this because I don't want to say that there aren't bad things or that evil is not active because it 100% is. What I'm trying to what I'm trying to say is that if God is using something and he's got a purpose for it, then it's actually an instrument of his love for me. And so the things that are going on in my life, I need to look as I say God, you are wanting to use this in me somehow. And so talk to me about this. You know, like God interact with me, help me to process what's going on. And what I've found is that I've had so many wonderful, comforting discussions with God about difficult things in my life. And I felt so much better after having those open conversations with God or with other people who are kind of helping me to hear God's voice. But I've also had a lot of conversations with God where it's, you know, about something difficult and, and the answers are not yet. I'm not, I don't get to know why something happens. And I, I've, I've got close friends who have experienced bad things, like people that I really, really respect. And they say, I have no idea. Like this, is a, this seems to be a waste of pain. It seems like God has no use and no purpose for that. And that's how it feels. But this also, this isn't our whole life. And that's why I love that the word here is tent. The root word for tent is ohel. O-H-E-L, and it means a tent or a tabernacle. And a tent or tabernacle, it's a portable, non-permanent dwelling. And so I read this, and I'm like, despite everything around it, it looks horrible. Like, I know, like, in my head that, that you know, God is using things for good in my life, but doesn't feel like it. I, keep, I can come back to tent and say, this is not my permanent dwelling. And I'm going to step through at someday from this life into eternity and things, and God is going to make everything right. 
and things are going to make sense. And I'll be able to ask those difficult questions. And I'll be, I'll be able to see things from a completely brand new perspective. And so personally, I, I love this verse because anything that comes near me, God is using it. It's an instrument of his love for me and his care for me. And, and also, I have hope because this life is not the end. Moving on to verse 11. He will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. This is kind of a pick-me-up verse after the difficulty of verse 10. Uh, I love this. You know, um, the way that the Hebrew kind of breaks out is it's, it's give, um, give and charge are actually the same kind of phrase. And angels comes after that. So to give charge, the, the root word for that is savah, and it means to kind of command your servants. And so I used to feel like kids might be great servants. Uh, they're actually not great servants, but you can kind of maybe kind of get a sense like giving orders to someone who they're going to go and they're going to obey exactly the right way. And God is giving his angels, uh, commanding his servants. Now, angels, the word is malak, and it's got feelings and tones of like a messenger. And we've, you know, we've seen in scripture how God uses angels as messengers. Um, it also has the, the sense of like an ambassador or an envoy. And the thing with an ambassador or an envoy is, you know, the ambassador isn't the king. But for all intents and purposes, in conversations that the ambassador has in the country that they're at, they are the king. And they represent, they have the authority, they have the same authority and the same power as the king. And so God has instructed his angels to guard, to keep me, to watch over me, to preserve me. And I, and in that role, they have the authority and the power uh, that God has given them. And so one of the ways I kind of think about this is like, I'm imagining that I've sort of got a whole bunch of undercover operatives working in this loose circle around me. And everywhere I go, there's like these Jason Bourne types who are like around uh, and kind of keeping a perimeter. Um, something else that I really like to think about as well is, you know, in movies where the hero is going to going into the lair of the bad guy, right? You've got the guards at front and they pat everybody down. They take all the weapons away. And that's kind of like how I think with the angels as well is that they are everything that's approaching me. Nothing gets passed unless they're on, unless God has said, yes, that can get passed. And then they take all the weapons away. And so anything that comes in me, comes to me that's, that's causing pain or causing difficulty, they are operating with strict limits. God is, he, he does not waste pain. And like you think about the story of uh, the story of Job, like the the enemy had clear instructions and clear guidelines around what they were allowed to do, and so that's something that I, I kind of can consider as well. Is that the you know there's a perimeter of angels, and God is he's protecting me, he's stripping power away from anything that's coming at me, and it's only allowed to operate according to God's plan, according to God's limitations. Um. The other, you know, to guard you in all your ways. You know, in all, the word is kol. And I, I kind of like this. It means, you know, anything. It means everything. It means entirely. And then the actual phrase is all of the everything. In all of my ways, all of the everything, from the smallest thing to the biggest thing, I have God's protection around me everywhere I go. And then your ways, the root word is direct. And it means, you know, the way, your road, like the journey that you're on you know, the distance that you're traveling. 
And so as we are traveling through this life, we've got this perimeter around us. And the only things are allowed in through that perimeter are things that God is using to care for us, to help us to grow, to help us to um, continue to maximize. And we don't, unfortunately, don't get to see the, the reasoning behind it all right now. But again, this life that I'm living, it's, it's, you know, 84 years, apparently, according to like, you know, life expectancy. It's like, this is a, a short window. It's a minuscule window compared with the expanse of eternity. So um, moving on to verse 12, again, kind of expanding on, on, on you know, the, the protections that we have around. You know, they will bear you up in their hands, that you do not strike your foot against a stone. Bear, the word bear, you know, uh, it, the, in, in the Hebrew, the, it means to lift, you know, to carry, um, to spare from, you know, to ease or to help to endure. And so um, I think about, you know, as I was reading through this, I was thinking about um, Jesus in the desert, you know, with the 40 days of temptation. And it says like Jesus went through 40 days of just immense difficulty and just like immense struggle. And at the end of that time, the angels came, they ministered to him and, and they, they, they comforted him. And that is the, the thing that God is providing for us as well. As we're going through this journey, as we're going through life, the difficult things, um, hand, uh, the word is kaf. And, you know, in, in scripture, the hand represents strength. And it says, you know, the, in the, the root word, the literal meaning is the palm or the hollow, the flat hollow of the hand. And if something's right here, sorry, there we go. If something's like right here, then like I can grasp it. I have the most control over something when it's right here. And to me, that again, it, it's, it reminds me that I am right in the palm of God's hand. I'm in the very center of his focus, the center of his control. And he is bending his focus on me. And, and he has the big picture that I don't get to have very often. Um, the other word that I found myself looking at was strike, the word strike. And the root word for that is nagaf. And it means to smite or to strike as well. However, it's also used as to defeat, to be defeated it's to, or to be beaten or to stumble. And I'm finding that really valuable as well because I'm a, you know, as we talked last week, I, I struggle with fear a lot more than people uh, might think. I, uh, I don't know if you remember, I made the, the tactical error, I'll say, of confessing that I sometimes I'm afraid of the dark. And I know it's 35, almost 36 year olds shouldn't be afraid of the dark. And my kids think it's hilarious. And so they do, they, they made fun of me this week for being afraid of the dark. Uh, but, you know, I have fear. And so sometimes there's small things that don't seem to be a big deal that it happens or I see it or it's an observation and I feel the pit in my stomach just tighten up. It might be like a weird physical sensation that I'm like, oh, what is that? And then my mind goes a mile a minute. Oh, shoot, what's going on? And then before I know it, I'm in a spot mentally where I'm suddenly now grappling with huge, huge fears. And what, one of the, the layers of this that I'm, that, um, of meaning in here for me personally this week has been that even the small, the things that look like small things where I just stump, I just stub my toe. It's a small thing. It's kind of like, that's kind of the imagery here. Like, you know, the angels are, they're, they're, you know, God is, his provision is carrying us through life. So we don't even strike our foot against the stone. So even the small things that might spin me out, 
I'm not defeated by them. You know, I'm not beaten by them. I'm not stumbling uh, over them. I am able to continue on moving forward. And as I continue to, to keep my eyes on Jesus, I keep my eyes on God, he is my refuge. He is the secret place where I am hidden. Then I begin to experience the reality of, of this truth. And, you know, these, the angels, you know, God's protection around me, it, you know, they are disarming attacks, and even the small things, like I don't even stub my toe. And, like, and that feels so silly to say, but I think what Jesus talked about, right? Like not even a sparrow falls. Like God knows the number of hairs on our heads. Like even the smallest little things, like God cares about. He cares so deeply about those. I don't even stub my toe without the okay from God and without him right there to catch me, to make sure that I'm not beaten, to make sure that I'm not defeated, to make sure that I, that I don't stumble. So... I am unbeatable. Now, 2 Corinthians 4, I love that. There's like, a, there's a whole bunch of great verses in 2 Corinthians 4. I mean, the whole Bible, of course. Uh, but 2 Corinthians 4, you know, it says we're pressed. You know, we, we feel pressure. So like, but we're never crushed. It's like, I'm unbeatable. I stubbed my toe, but that's not the end. Regardless of where my mind takes me, that's not the end of my story. I'm pressed. Are we pressed? Sure, of course, but we're never crushed. Are we persecuted? Well, definitely. Like Jesus said, that's going to happen. Expect it. But are we ever abandoned? Are we ever alone? It's like, never. Absolutely not. Do we fall? Are we cast down? Sometimes, you know, depending on where you're at in your life, depending on what you're struggling with, it feels like sometimes more than others. But are we destroyed? We're never destroyed. Ever. Now, the challenge that we have, the challenge that I have, is my feelings. Like, my feelings don't line up with the truth that I'm reading here. Now, one of the things that I have to consistently bring myself back to is that feelings that in and of themselves, they're not bad. Like fear, anxiety, worry, like those things, like I feel them and I, it's easy for me to think like, oh, those are bad feelings and I don't want to feel them, I push them away. But God designed them, he made them. And so they're good. Like when God created man, he said it was very good. So I, I don't, don't shun your feelings. Don't shun the heavy, uncomfortable feelings. Don't ignore them or push them away. Like, rather, think about your feelings as it's a system that God designed. And your feelings are created, they're generated by like deep-rooted beliefs, you know, about yourself, you know, about me, about the world, about other people. You know, to feel like beliefs that I have kind of like agreed to, sometimes without really even being aware of it. So for myself, um, I, as I consider my feelings, like, for example, preaching, like, I really enjoy it and it's fulfilling to me. But every time, like the days leading up to it, I kind of feel antsy and I kind of feel nervous. The, having a three-minute countdown before the sermon starts, like, that's the longest three minutes of my life. And I just wish I could fast forward through the whole thing. I don't like those feelings. And so as I kind of con like have conversations with God about, okay, what's going on here? I don't want to just ignore these feelings or try to distract myself. It's like, no. I'm like, and, and, and God and I have had lots of conversations about this nervousness that I get before doing something. And I'm seeing there are some beliefs, deep down beliefs that I have. Beliefs that I'm a disappointment and I will disappoint people. People will have expectations of me and I will come way under the expectations. I will let people down. Like those are deep-rooted beliefs. 
And if I ignore my feelings, I never have a chance to get down to those root beliefs. And as I, as I have these difficult feelings and I interact with God or interact with other people and we kind of like, you know, invite people into my struggle, then these feelings can kind of come to the surface and these beliefs can come to the surface and they get corrected. And to me, that's what I see happening through all of Psalm 91. It's constantly saying, okay, God, you're my refuge. You're the secret hiding place that I'm at. And then I'm dealing with my my feelings, my, my inner world. I'm dealing with that in the light of that truth. And what happens is that my feelings, the, as the roots of those are exposed and the beliefs are dealt with, my feelings change. The last week and a half, the last two weeks, I came into the sermon prep feeling anxious, feeling tied up in knots, feeling frustrated. And I have experienced a, a quiet. It's like a calming of the storm. And it's not like the feelings go away, but they're, they're, they're just quiet. They're, it's like going from a roar in my face to a whisper in the corner of the room. As I engage with my feelings and bring them to God, and I have a dialogue with him, the root beliefs are uncovered and the truth is introduced and defeats those root lies that maybe I've agreed upon. Now, dealing with those truths can be really hard because that means facing things we don't want to face. And as we kind of transition now into verse 13, this is all about things I don't want to face. You know, for myself in business, like I've had to have more difficult conversations in the last three months than I've had to have in the previous two years. And they are exhausting. Uh, I want everyone to love me. And so to act, to go and step into a conversation where I know someone's going to be frustrated or someone's going to be confused or upset, and I know that I'm going to be the cause of that. Ugh, I hate it. But verse 13, that's for me. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you will trample down. So we're going to move through this, and uh, and I, I, I like how this verse is structured. It's kind of like it feels like there's like, you know, before the comma, it's like, you know, you're treading upon the line of the cobra, and then it seems to say the exact same thing, you know, again. And that's one of the things I really find fulfilling about digging into the into the root words, like the, the words aren't the same. They're actually different. So to tread upon, that means to to march, to walk. It's like an intentional stepping forward. And I love that because as as I choose, God is my refuge. And I, and, I, and I remind myself of his faithfulness and remind myself that, that I have a perimeter of protection around me. I'm able to walk forward in, into danger, you know, and into the lion. Now, the lion, the root word here is shahal. And it's a, the root word, it's actually a word that's hardly used anywhere except for in poetry. And the word, the literal translation is loud, fierce roaring. And so anytime it's used, it's almost always referring to a lion. But it's kind of like this, this sort of allegorical, kind of poetic, sort of, uh, I want to say like a nebulous kind of a term where it doesn't say a literal lion. It's like the loud, the fierce, the loud roaring. Now, as you learn about lions and kind of dig into, you know, the, the, the knowledge base that's out there, lions that are older, they don't really do the hunting. They do the eating and they also do the roaring. What happens is the lions roar and they create a sense of panic in the prey and then the prey just take off very often right into the jaws of the younger lions who then go and do the hunting and pull down the wildebeest or the, I can't think of any other animal except for wildebeest right now. Uh, someone in the comments will give me help, I'm sure. But 
the lion here is is something that's loud. And it's like, it to me, it, it speaks to me of, of, of the fear, of that, that gut clench, where I don't actually see, I don't see it yet, but I'm just like moving into this cloud of fear, this, this loud roar. It's like this, it's like signifying something dangerous coming. Um, the word cobra, it means a venomous snake. You know, some translations will say adder, adder, which is another kind of venomous snake. But, you know, I will tread upon, I'll march right through the loud, fierce roaring. And I'll march right over a venomous snake. You know, verse, uh, the second half. You know, it seems actually, as, as I look at the root words, it's like the second half says, you think that was bad? Here's this for you. You know, so it says, um, the young lion and the serpent you will trample down. The young lion, the word there is kafir, and it mean it, it literally means a, a, like a lion, a literal lion. But it's also used as like a prince of a country, like or someone who is like it's got the sense of like bloodthirsty. It's got a sense of like eager for violence. You know, it's very dangerous. The thing with young lions is they're actually they are more dangerous sometimes than older lions are because a younger lion is seeking to develop its own pride. It wants its own group of females. Don't we all? Probably shouldn't have said that. Uh, it wants its own pride. And so it is. it will attack all the other lions because it's trying to drive everybody else away, leaving him the leftovers, the spoils of war. And so what this second half of the verse is saying is like, I will, I will right into the face of the bloodthirsty, the eager, the violent. And then the word for serpent is tannin. And if depending, again, depending on the translation of the Bible you're using, it's actually, the word for serpent literally means serpent, dragon, or sea monster. And so the first half of the verse is saying, you'll hear the roaring. You'll, you'll, you'll march right into the roaring. You'll march right over the cobra. In fact, you'll go right up to the bloodthirsty, dangerous, eager for violent entities. You'll go right up to the sea monsters and the dragons. And the word for trample down is ramas. And it's like, it's got the sense of like, like a herd of horses and you're like, or like a stampede. I'm just thinking of the Lion King right now and Mufasa and just the death, like a herd of wildebeest just charging through. And like anything that's trapped beneath the hooves of that massive stampede is obliterated and it's done. And that's the, that's the strength here is that as I am exercising my freedom, over the things I'm afraid of, over the loud, fierce roaring, over the dangerous snake, over the sea monsters and the dragons. Like, as I am trusting in God and looking only to him as my refuge and only to him as, as my protector, as my, my perimeter, I can go through and, and deal with these really difficult, painful, scary, scary things. And I just... As I like have been, I've been spending a lot of time in this chapter and I feel excitement about this, which is for people who know me, I'm like, I, I'm afraid of a lot of things. And so I say, consider what it means to step forward into the fear, to step forward into the danger. Like it's, it doesn't make sense that I feel excited. And then if I actually look at my life and I think, okay, what are the things that I'm like really afraid of happening? You know, what are the things that I'm, the danger spots, you know, something that could actually target and attack me personally. And like, what, what are just the, the overwhelming sea monster dragon type fears that I have? And like, I have freedom 
It's like I have it. It belongs to me. Do I feel it? Most of the time, no. However, again, God's faithfulness is a shield. And he's not asking me to trample on them. He's asking me to march. He's asking me to walk forward. And then he is taking care of the lion, of the cobra, of the young lion, of the dragon, of the sea monster. We have an enormous amount of momentum around us that we don't see very often. You know, I'm thinking about um, in the Old Testament, I want to say it's Elisha. So Elisha has been, you know, he's a prophet of God and he is holed up in a city because God has been speaking to him about what the enemy army is going to do. And Elisha tells the Israelite king and the Israelite king will adjust his strategy and defeat the enemy. And the enemy is, that enemy king is getting furious. And finally, one of the enemy king's advisors says, it's Elisha. He's the one. He's feeding this in intel for whatever reason. And then the king's like, okay, where's Elisha? We're going to go take that guy down. And so Elisha's in this town and his servant who's with him is going out to get water or whatever. And he comes back freaking out. He's like, there's an entire army surrounding the city. Like we are in danger. We got to get out of here somehow. Like what's going to happen? And Elisha says, God opened his eyes. And the servant runs out again, and he sees around the army, around the overwhelming odds, around the fierce, the loud, the dangerous. Around that, he says, a heavenly host. Just surrounding. And it's so easy for me to look at my circumstances and to look at the world and to feel like everything is just crushing in around me. And this last couple of weeks, God has given me glimpses of just the enormous stampede level power and momentum and strength and protection that is surrounding me. And I look at, you know, what a government could do. And it's, again, this time with God has been such a gift because my feelings are sort of lining up with what's true. And that doesn't always happen. So I really treasure this time that I have right now. Like the reality is, is that despite the most overwhelming, terrifying, fearsome odds, like we are victorious. Like the battle's over. This is like God is mopping up the stragglers. That's what's happening. There's a very narrow window of time that our enemy has to operate. And God's not afraid. You know, Psalm 2. Uh, I have found so much joy in, in that, like Psalm 2, I think the first verse or two, it talks about the kingdoms, the nations of the earth rage and they conspire and say, we're going to throw off the shackles of God. It says, God sit back and God mocks them. I'm like, God makes fun of all the scheming that's going on, of all the, anything that I'm afraid of, the, the terrors that move by night, the plague, the destruction. God's like, that is nothing. And like, as we keep our eyes on him and we continually choose God as our hiding place, as our source, as our refuge, we begin to, we will begin to experience that new deep level of confidence, you know, that freedom from fear, that freedom from anxiety. It's so good. <laughs> on to verse 14. Now, a very cool thing that I love about Psalm 91 is there is a speaker change. We've had either Moses or David, don't really know who, who's been speaking and encouraging, you know, the nation. And then at Psalm 4, or verse 14, God steps in and God takes over. God takes over the speech. 
It's a, the, this is it's a new voice, that of God himself, adding the, conf, the, the final word, you know, the completion, the conclusion of this really epic poem. Verse 14, because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. You know, he has loved that root, that phrase, that root word is hasak. Again, it's about setting, you know, talking about setting his love, setting affection, finding delight in. Because we choose, because we pick God, you know, he will deliver us. The root word there is palat, and it means to carry off, you know, to rescue, to escape, to deliver. You know, and like last week I talked about that, that root word, it's like how it's like, you know, the enemy feels like they're just about to win. And then the, the savior comes in and yanks the rug right out from under the, the enemy. Like that's what's going to happen. You know, he will, I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. You know, to set securely on high, that phrase, it's sagab. And what it means is to, it's exalt, you know, to set up inaccessibly high. Like lifting, like I'm imagining like a 10-foot basketball. I don't know if there are any, any, any 10-foot NBA players. Imagine like a super, super tall NBA player. And he's like holding a basketball just up here. And all these little toddlers are like running around his ankles. Like is inaccessibly high. And that is what God has done for us already. It's not we're hoping he does. He already has. He has set us up inaccessibly high, you know, set very securely. Because he has loved me, I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. To know, the word is yaha. It means to discover, to become acquainted with. You know, um, there's like to perceive or to acknowledge. The sense of like, he has known, like I have explored God and I've explored, you know, the name, the word for my name is Shem and it means reputation, fame, the glory memorial, you know, it's, it's like the sense of like a monument, like what God has done and what he is, his, what he can do and what he's capable of. And it's because we have explored what God is capable of in my life. And because we have come to know that and we come to know God's real identity. For me, this has not been true. Like I grew up in a, in a certain, uh, like everybody, you know, I grew up with a certain idea of what God was like. And to me, God was like a locked door with treasure behind it. And my job was to try to figure out the combination lock so I could get to the treasure. And so that's kind of what God was like for me. That was my concept of God. But over the last five years, I've been exploring who God really is and kind of giving God an opportunity to introduce himself to me, really introduce himself to me. I'm learning what God is capable of and what he has done and what he is doing in me. And because of that, you know, I have seen the trajectory of my life change, my daily experience, is growing and, and it's an improving. And the things that used to terrify me are not nearly as strong and not nearly as potent. And that's because I, and like, this is true for all of us. Like as, as we explore God, this, the, the experience begins to match up with the reality more and more and more. Verse 15, he will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and I will honor him. The, one of the words here that I really spent time thinking about was the word for trouble. And the root word there is sarah. And it means it's two things, like dire straits and distress. Now, what I really like about that is that straits, like dire straits are circumstances. 
things in my life that are going wrong. And the second part of that is distress. And distress is more of like a mental state. And so what I love about this is God is saying, you, know, you will call upon me, you will reach out, you will call for me and I will answer, I will respond to you and I will be with you. Whether you're in the middle of terrifying circumstances or whether you're dealing with inner stress, inner frustration, inner anxiety, he will be there with us in the middle of that and he will rescue us. And the word for rescue is uh, halats, and it's kind of got a couple different sort of senses or feelings to it. So it has the idea of like drawing away. So it's like he will physically draw our, he'll create space between the attack and between us. The other, the other interesting um, meaning is to draw out. So the kind of idea of like of taking a sliver out, you know, you're, you're re bringing relief. You're, you're taking, you're removing something that's dangerous or that's, that's painful. And like God is active in our dire circumstances and he's active also in our inner life. And as we, again, we call upon him, we look to him as our source, he will answer us and he will bring relief. Um, the last thing I spent time with, with verse 15 here is the word like for honor. And I personally don't have a really strong like connection to the word honor. I think that's probably true of a lot of us. Um, but other there are other cultures that are built around the idea of honor. And so when I think about, you know, as I dig into like the root word here, it's it's kabad. And the root, that's it's the idea of like the literal translation of the root word is to become heavy, to become weighty. And the the how it's used is to imply something becoming distinguished, becoming hardened, becoming fierce, you know, to make something glorious or rich, to make something noble. That's what's all packed up in that honor. And what I see, and I see this actually not quite so much in myself, because I think this is what this is implying like is, is over time. I look to people in my life who are more seasoned and I think about what they've been through. And I just look, I'm like, man, like what you have become, you know, a faithful, someone's been faithful to God, what you have become, you've, you know, you've experienced God consistently, looked to him, made that choice over and over and over again. You have become glorious. There's a, you're, you, you know, you've become unflappable. Like you have become sort of like insulated almost from like the terror that happens in the world. And I'm really eager to become like that as well. And I can, I can already see in my life in the last few years, like I can see myself strengthening and I can see that the things that used to scare me don't. And the things that used to really shake me deep down, like I've, God's faithfulness has, has, he's shown up. And so I can move forward. I'm, I'm learning to move forward. And that's one of the things with that, this idea of freedom is that we have freedom, but it's an exercise. It's something that we have to practice. And it's the practice is looking to God like looking to him as our hiding place and moving forward, moving into the things that are, are, are afraid. And then we discover firsthand how God meets us in that place. Verse 16, this is the culmination. You know, Psalm 91 is such a beautiful piece of art. It's, it's, it's stunning poetry. And, you know, this, this verse here is sort of like, here's what you have to look forward to. As you, as you meditate on Psalm 91, as you make the continually over and over again, choose God as your source. You build that habit of finding refuge 
experiencing refuge in God, this, this, is what, this is what's ahead of us. With a long life, I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. The word longs for auric is called an auric, and it means long. You know, sometimes it's used as forever. Um, the word for life is yom, and it's used very often as day, to literally mean a day, but it's also used to lifetime. It's also used to, to imply a time period, you know, years. It's also used to imply a journey and moving like over time, like moving somewhere over time. And I think about that. I think about, you know, with a long journey, I will satisfy him. The word for satisfy, I will satisfy that, that phrase, the root there is sabah. And it means to, to, to be sated, you know, to be satisfied, fed to the full, to be satiated, to have plenty, excess, to be saturated. Um, I have this imagery of like, you know, squeezing out a sponge and then immersing it in water and letting it expand. And you bring that sponge out of the water and it is full. It is dripping. And God, that is what God is promising. He is promising to satisfy us completely. Every little pore is going to be satisfied, you know, filled to the absolute dripping capacity. It's sort of the idea of like, you know, I will look back over my life and over a lifetime of trusting God and I will see what a full life I have had. What an adventure. I think there's a quote from Hunter Thompson that I've always kind of liked. And it says, you know, I don't want to end up at the grave, you know, perfectly preserved, like an immaculate spotless body. He's like, I want to skid into the grave sideways saying, what a ride. And I think about like that sense of adventure, that sense of like, that's what I long for. I long to be, I long to experience everything. And I long to, to be taken to places that I've never seen before. And I look at my life, my like, God's already doing that. And as I continue to exercise my freedom in him, as I continue to choose him and to trust him, he's bringing me on that journey. And I, uh, I, I think I'm right now, I have a memory thinking back to, uh, I, don't know, I don't know, five or six years ago, and my wife and I needed a vehicle, so we bought a car. And our budget was very small, so we bought a small car, and it was a standard, it was a stick shift. Now, I'd never learned to drive stick shift before, and so I actually was terrified too. So I went for a year of never driving just because I didn't want to learn stick shift. And I remember a winter day, I was in the passenger seat. We're driving. My wife is an excellent driver. So don't get the wrong idea with the story here. But we're driving down a winter, like a, a, a winter road, a snowy road. And I just, I just felt so out of control. And I like was like huddled up against the window, feeling like the cold glass soothing my face. And I remember thinking, if this is adventure, I don't want it. And it's kind of funny, um, but the fact is, is like, that's sometimes it's true. And it's okay if you're like, this part of the adventure blows. I hate this part of the adventure. That's all right. We don't have to like it. But what we do is like, as we look to God and we, can, we find our source, we find our peace, we find, find our freedom in Him, then all those moments, they add to the richness, they add to the complexity, they add to the texture of our life with Him. And the last half of this verse, I will let him see, and let him see is Ra, the word Ra, and it seems to show, to display, or to expose, to observe. It also means to gloat almost. It's like, look what I have done. I will let him see my salvation. 
And this, the, the word for salvation is Yeshua. And the, the Hebrew, you know, pronunciation of that is, is Joshua. And the Greek translation of this word is Jesus. Psalm 91 talks about this, how to handle just the overwhelming odds, the terror that we live in. And it points us to the very end, to Jesus. Now, when this time was, this time was, the, this book was written, my salvation, that was kind of a mysterious thing. Like, what does that mean? But now we have the benefit of hindsight. We can look back and see, wow, like in this poetry that was written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was born, there's a prophet, like this is pointing to Jesus. The ultimate plan for God's salvation is Jesus. His, he promised, his, he saves us. He delivers us. He, bring, he is our victory. He is our prosperity. And I find myself thinking as I look around the world, I say, God, are you truly enough for me? And then I come to a verse like this and it's like, he says, yes, I am. Like, and if you will, if you will look to me as your source, look to me as your refuge, not the government, not, not your boss, not your business, you know, not, not what, you know, fill in the blank, whatever your source that you tend to go to for security, whatever that is, when you choose God over that, like you are equipped and you're able to move forward into the fear with a sense of freedom. And so I came into Psalm 91 looking for comfort and I found comfort in here. And I also found an incredible freedom. And I, I so love what God did for me with this, with this piece of poetry, what God's done for us with this piece of poetry. Psalm 91 is such incredible gesture of love. It's, it's a, a beautifully crafted like invitation with like beautiful cal calligraphy script and like a nice thick cream paper. It's like, there's a, such a wonderful invitation in there to trust God, to look to him, to follow him through the fear in spite of the danger and discover an unbelievable freedom. You know, our world sometimes feels like it's falling apart. You know, you know we're, we thrash wildly. We're spinning around. And Psalm 91 is God locking eyes with us and saying, look at me. I got you. We're going to be okay. I promise you. It might get darker, but the end, just wait for the end. It's going to be so, so, so worth it. Look into my eyes and settle your heart. Follow me forward. It's a really beautiful thing. And I'm just, I'm stunned by what God is doing and what he did in my heart. And um, I love freedom. And the freedom that this is about far eclipses and dwarfs, whether we're allowed to hang out with a certain number of people or not. It dwarfs whether, you know, our... Bill of Rights is being, you know, threatened. Not that those aren't things to be concerned about, but freedom that we have is so much bigger and more thorough and complete than any kind of freedom a government can offer. And so I'm just, I'm so excited to do communion. Um, so if you've got your, your elements, I've got, uh, got some, I've got some wine. Actually, I don't think it's, it's definitely grape juice. <laughs> I've got some gluten-free elements, and let's just share communion together.
and remembering that what we're what this represents is this represents Christ. It represents our standing with Him. You know, um, I think about the you know the food going in my body and the drink going in my body. It's like Christ is within me. I have him within me. And freedom means counting on that and stepping forward and letting that life live through me. So if you've got your, 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 your bread or your cracker or, you know, your lucky charms or whatever it is, then I invite you just take a piece of that, you know, you know, uh, maybe dip it into and dip it into the, the juice or whatever you have. And then let's, let's, let's share this. Let's share this special meal together, guys. And knowing what it represents, it represents our union with Christ. It means that the old Josh, the old you, you know, as a believer, it means you were crucified with Christ. So that guy, that girl, they're not alive anymore. We've been raised into newness of life. We're one with Christ. Like you look at my heart and you kind of see it's like, well, there's Josh's heart and there's Jesus's heart. I can't really see. I can't really see where one ends and the other begins. Like we are united with Christ. So we are in that secret place. We are cradled in our daddy's arms. Like we have such freedom. And Psalm 91 is telling me like, it's time to exercise that. It's time to practice that. It's time to practice, you know, whatever thing is facing you, whatever that fear is, whatever that terror is, you can step forward and deal with it. You can face that horrible memory. You know, you can, you can walk into that, that scary conversation, whatever that thing is, you can walk forward and counting on the fact that God is going to be there for you and he will be. I'm just so excited. Let me just pray to close. I've got one final song. Father, you have shown up in a big way, countless times through history. You have shown up in a big way in the life of, you know, the author of this Psalm. You've shown up in in a huge way for our church, for New Life Fellowship. For each one of us, you've shown up so well, and you've shown up so well this morning and in Psalm 91, and I am just in awe of what you do and in your faithfulness. That's my shield. I look to the, the ultimate act of love. The biggest thing you ever did was Jesus. And so as you know, we do this communion together, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for what you like that incredible expression of love, that incredible expression of sacrifice, and the immense, wonderful, textured, layered, perfect, complete freedom that we are living in because of what you have done. Thank you that you are our hiding place and you've got each one of us, you've got us in your arms. It's a wonderful place to be, amen. All right, let's move to this last song. I'm really excited for it. You have been listening to the New Life Fellowship podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.